Hello and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined once again by Rachel Muse from Northumberland, England. Rachel joined us a few months ago on the podcast to discuss her interactions with Twitter and their reluctance to combat hate speech toward people with Down syndrome. It's an ongoing problem and it's probably a, a subject we could revisit. But this episode is going to concentrate more on her birth story, and the experiences she had during her pregnancy. As I said, Rachel lives in England with her partner, Kurt, and her three-year-old daughter, Betsy, who has Down syndrome. She is a contributing editor to Making Chromosomes Count, which is the Down syndrome community newspaper. She has a background in teaching and care for children with special educational needs and disabilities, and she's also worked with adults with disabilities and learning disabilities. In this second episode with Rachel, we really wanted to share a more personal side of things with her because her story, for as disturbing as it really is, seems to be a common one in our community. And I think with her professional background, we really get a unique perspective of how parents and specifically how mothers are treated during their pregnancy after receiving a Down syndrome diagnosis. Also in the show notes, I'll have the website for Making Chromosome Count and their Twitter page because the work that Rachel's done with them has most definitely made a positive impact on our community. So on to the interview. Rachel, welcome back. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Thank you for having me. It's really good to speak to you. So what was your pregnancy like? I know you didn't have that great of an experience with the doctors. Yeah, so I didn't have the most straightforward pregnancy. Um, I got gestational diabetes at about six months. So I ended up having extra scans to check the growth of the baby. Um, I initially refused screening for Down syndrome. Um, So we have screening at 12 weeks in England. um, And I refused that because I know a lot about Down syndrome from working with people with the condition for the past 20 years and I, I disagree with the legislation that says it's a serious handicap and should be um, in ground E for termination so obviously I refused screening for it. In hindsight um, nobody actually told me that screening could be used to actually generate putting you on a pathway of extra scans if you're high chance for Down syndrome so that I'm kind of a bit annoyed about because if somebody had presented the screening to me as a healthcare tool to um, ensure the safety of my baby in terms of extra scans and appointments then I perhaps would have screened for Down syndrome not to change anything but because it would have meant that she had um, more security Um, so anyway I had gestational diabetes I was having extra scans for that um, I went to one scan um, near the end of July, bearing in mind Betsy was due on the 30th of September um, and it was an ultrasound and I was there with my partner Kurt and they were doing the scan and it was taking ages and then the sonographer said I'm just going to have to go and get someone else and I can't get this reading. So she 
went away, brought this other woman in and said, um, do you agree with that? And she said, yes. And then they went out, at which point my heart was absolutely pounding. I had no idea what was going on. And I was looking at Kurt and he was just saying, it'll be OK, it'll be OK. So they came back in with the um, obstetrician who said that we're seeing a reduced blood flow through the umbilical cord. Um, your baby stopped growing about two weeks ago. Um, she's not getting enough blood. So we need to transfer you to the hospital now. Um, baby will likely be born today. And I distinctly remember saying that baby will likely be born today by emergency C-section. I was seven months pregnant, just under seven months. Yeah, it was like six months and two weeks. Um, so I was sent to the hospital. Um, they immediately gave me an injection of steroids to mature the baby's lungs under the impression that they were going to operate like then and there because they thought she was about to die. Um, they did another scan and they found a double bubble thinking that she had duodenal latresia. So I stayed in that hospital overnight. Um, they gave me another steroid injection overnight. Um, so I was absolutely like, because I had diabetes as well, like they had given them really close together, the injections. So my sugars were like sky high, was really, really poorly. I got transferred, I then got transferred to a specialist hospital in the city in um where I was transferred to the fetal medicine unit and they did another scan and confirmed that um, there was reduced blood flow from the placenta and that she did have duodenal atresia. Um, and they said to me, it's a, a fatal condition. She will need surgery immediately after she's born. Otherwise she will die. Um, so we need to decide what you're going to do. So I was obviously, well, yes, obviously she's going to have surgery. That's what I want to do. Um, and then I was thinking, OK, so she's tiny, like she's going to be really premature. How on earth are they going to operate on a baby that small? Um, he then, the consultant then said, I also need to let you know that there's a two in three chance of this baby having Down syndrome. And at that point, I hadn't eaten for about 48 hours. I had gone to a scan, like a routine ultrasound at the hospital on the morning of the day before. I hadn't slept since then. I was full of steroids and I just passed out. So when I came round, bearing in mind I was still overdosed on steroids and I was hyperglycemic, um, he said to me, do you want an amniocentesis so we can find out if she has Down syndrome or not? And I said, yes. In my mind, I was thinking she has to have this surgery immediately after she's born like the need to know whether she's got it or not you know I'm not a doctor um I assumed that they needed to know so I said yes to an amniocentesis I signed the papers I was under the influence of drugs I was not in my right mind if I had truly understood what risk that I'd put Betsy's life at I certainly wouldn't have had one anyway I had the amniocentesis it was not very pleasant um they put me on a ward by myself um I was admitted to hospital I had to be monitored all the time um, in case the blood flow started decreasing again and she died. I needed to be monitored for my blood sugars as well. So I was in a bay by myself. I could hear all the other women in the other bays. Um, I asked if I could speak to someone um, to see a counsellor. I was told no. Um, I was basically just kind of left. So I had stated already you know they already had it written down that I didn't screen for down syndrome because I would never have a termination because of my professional knowledge of the condition really um I 
knew more about what life with Down syndrome was like than the consultant. And that's not arrogance. That's just my career and life experience. Um, so three days later, the results came back. We were put in this like room with white walls and a box of tissues on the table. Consultant came in. Um, your results are back. Um, she said it has come back positive for Down syndrome. Um, and I said, right, OK, what kind of Down syndrome? Bryson 21, mosaic, translocation. Um, she kind of fumbled about a bit and looked and said, yeah, it's Bryson 21. Um, and I said, right, OK, thanks very much. Um, and we went to get up to leave and she said, oh, I just need to stop you there. Um, you can still have an abortion. And I was just like stunned. I honestly didn't even know what to say. Um, but what popped into my mind straight away was an image of my baby dying. My very, very wanted baby. And that image of me having to give birth to her dead body has stayed with me for three years. And I don't think it will ever leave me. So we were encouraged to go home. I was actually discharged from the hospital overnight, away from all the monitoring and all the safeguards to go home and think about whether or not we wanted a termination. So we came home and we sat on the couch and cried because we had absolutely no idea why they were um, trying to get us to think about this. Um, went back to the hospital, got readmitted. We had to have another meeting when we had to state yet again that no, we didn't want to kill our baby. I didn't want them to insert a lethal injection into a heart and kill her and then have to give birth to our body. Um, and eventually, after I think that was about the third or the fourth time that I had stated that that's something that I would not do and that I did not want to do, then finally they put like a plan in place to ensure that she came out healthy. This is the same baby that before they got the Down syndrome diagnosis that they were explaining to you that when she was born that she would have surgery to fix whatever she needed to have done. I want a Betsy because they always say, you know, have you got a name? And I'd say, yeah, she's called Betsy after my grandma. Um, so midwives were calling her Betsy. Oh, let's have a listen to Betsy's heart. And I have to say, the scan after I had the diagnosis, the first scan that I had after that, the consultant didn't refer to her as baby or Betsy. He referred to her as the fetus. So she went from being my baby, who I'd named after my grandmother, who we were preparing to welcome into the world, to the fetus after she'd had a Down syndrome diagnosis. Now, the damage that that did, the absolute horror to me that they weren't seeing my baby as a human being, it's left me with a complete distrust of medical staff. Um, I have to second guess everything. Luckily, we've got a really, really wonderful paediatrician um, and she's absolutely lovely and she explains everything to the nth degree for me and I, I trust her like with my life. She's amazing. Um, but I mean, she must get sick of me ringing her <laughs> at some point going like, can I just check this? Can I check that? Because I just I just don't trust anymore. Um, that's what it's left me with. I've had counselling for post-traumatic stress disorder from having to imagine them killing my baby. Um, I still have nightmares about the consultant. Um, I often dream that he has killed her in my sleep and I wake up screaming and sweating. I just, I don't see how I'm ever gonna get past it. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm just so sorry that you had to experience that. So am I. Um, 
I joined the Maternity Voices Partnership for that hospital and I've been working with the chairwoman there to try and educate them a bit on the way that they are treating women and families and we've been going for a year and a half we haven't really made much progress with them um it's hard because that is completely against my right as a woman my wishes weren't respected at all um they were really cast aside in favor of what the consultants felt would like from their perspective well um I'd have to say that the changes that you're making now and the passion that you have to make that change and to make it better for women who come behind you, that's the, the good. And your daughter, Betsy, that came out of this ignorance uh, and, and fear that caused you to have to go through what you went through that I that nobody should have to go through and I and I think that the changes now that you're making because you know the power of the the words that are out there and the hurtfulness and hatefulness you've you've been on the other side of it you know you're you're taking something that is horrible there's no other word but horrible because this is your time of joy this is your daughter's birth this is this new life that no matter what challenges you were going to experience with her having to have surgery right after birth, this is your daughter. And I, and I wish I could replace those memories with something more joyous and um, pleasant and, and the celebration that it was. And, you know, when I was talking to Melissa and we were discussing this, because I have to tell you, just listening to her talk about the great experience she had it made me feel so good because it wasn't my experience and my experience was nothing compared to what you experienced um it it made me hopeful that things have changed Uh, and the one thing she said is nobody should be able to rob a mother of the joy of their child yeah and that new life nobody that nobody should be able to do that. As soon as there is even the faintest chance that your child may have Down syndrome, the prejudice that is so embedded within people's consciousness, like within the medical community, it just takes over. And they, they take away like the, the personality of your child. You, you know, they try and break the bond that you have with your unborn child. And it's all, you know, they're, they're scared. They're scared that you're going to sue them for having had a child with Down syndrome. It, there's such a dangerous precedent for that. Unfortunately, yeah. non-invasive prenatal testing is about to roll out here, rolling out into our society that is still so very prejudiced and three years away from what happened to me is really not that long a time. That's rolling out into our NHS. It is mm. such a dangerous, dangerous programme that they are rolling out. I feel like we're heading towards Iceland. I feel like women aren't being given the true reality of life with Down syndrome. Nobody, when you get your diagnosis, nobody sits you down and says, right, okay, so you're not going to be alone in this. From day one, you'll have your health visitor there. So this is in England, you'll have your health visitor and they'll come to your house as many times as you want to support you. And you'll be able to go to 
these groups in your local area full of the local Down syndrome community who are very, very supportive. And you'll have a speech and language therapist and a play worker and you'll have a physiotherapist and a paediatrician and you'll have an entire team surrounding your child and you won't be alone. And they're there to support you and make sure that your child succeeds. I don't know of anybody who has had a conversation with medical staff at diagnosis where they have emphasised the sheer amount of support that you get from the NHS and like the social care sector in England because it's huge and it's free. Well, the information's out there now. You just put it out there and um, and that's what we need to do is to put the information out there to make our voice be loud and heard and for people to understand and to and to make those changes you know let's let's get that information out there that this is this is uh the reality of the situation and you know if we can't if we can't silence the bullies then we can make our voice louder to where those bullies are silenced because eventually they're just seen as ignorance and at at some point the conversation needs to change I, I do I do believe Rachel that there's there's there are some changes and I do believe that that we're seeing them little by little far too slow as you said and I do believe there's hope of just you know putting the putting the word out there I would I would ask you um, as a professional what would you say is the biggest misconception of Down syndrome from like the reality when you know when someone sat down and they were going to give you information um, what is the biggest misconception and false information that gets put out there? Oh, that's a tricky one because there's just so much. Um, I think for me, it is the it is people thinking that they are able to predict the future of a baby with Down syndrome, that they're able to put a limit on what that person can achieve. And I think these people need to go and look up Dr. Karen Gaffney, Dr. Sarah Gordy, um, Frank Stevens, Kathleen Humberstone, Claire Minnett. I could go on. The need to look up people with Down syndrome and the need to challenge their own expectations because by putting a limit on what a child can achieve um, as an educational professional, if you put a limit on it, that's all they're going to achieve. If you remove that barrier, like you would with any other child, you wouldn't put a, a limit on what a child with 46 chromosomes could achieve. Then if you remove it and give opportunity, then people can fly. Don't set limits. That's, that's beautiful. They can fly. Tell, tell us a little bit about Betsy. Um, yeah, she's great. Obviously, we've been in lockdown since March the 23rd, which was my birthday, incidentally. Um, She's shielded because she has because she was born so premature. She's got um, respiratory issues. She's had pneumonia um, a couple of times and whatnot. So we've been shielded. But um, she's great. She's coming on so well. Um, she's chattering away now. Um, her signing's coming on great. She's really good at signing fish and chips and chocolate, basically junk food. She's really good at signing that. Um, she's missing her friends and her family at the minute but we are getting to talk to them on video call um what else can I say about Betty she's uh she's just Betty she's like a cheeky little personality 
loves kisses and cuddles. She's a, a little mother hen. She likes to look after her dolls. Um, she's got a little kitchen. She loves helping me with the housework, which is a bit weird because, like, I hate housework, but like, she loads the washer for me and takes the washing out and stuff, which is just amazing. Bodes really well for the future. I've got really high expectations for her. We've picked a really, really good school um, for her to attend. And from what I can see, they're doing inclusion perfectly. They've got all the children in the school together, but they also have a little nurture unit where children with additional needs can come out of the classes to a quieter environment to do some lessons. And the whole school speaks Makaton because we all know that signing encourages children's speech anyway. Um, They're just absolutely brilliant. So we're looking forward to getting her started in school. She currently attends a um, nursery called Centre Learn in Blythe, who are a specialist um, early years um, provision. They're the only one in Northumberland. We're just really lucky to to have them near us they've brought her on so much um but she's just loves life she's just interested in everything um busy from the start of the day to the end so from like five until seven o'clock at night she doesn't stop um which is good but it's also rather tiring but I suppose any two-year-old is um she's great she's changed my life she's made me into a much stronger person than what I was um She's made me happier. She's given me a purpose. And I know she's changed our dad's life as well. So I'd love everyone to meet her. Well, we certainly would love to. We we are looking forward to hearing all the great things she's going to do. This was something that I was enlightened by when we had a conversation with our physical therapist about the the scans. My husband and I did the same thing where we said, no, we don't want any of the testing. I think that's because... Uh, the fear of what we know that the perception is and what's out there and what we're afraid that we're going to then have to deal with, that stops us because we we had the same experience where we didn't want any. And when we were doing the podcast with our physical therapist, Natalie, she informed us that, oh, well, as soon as you get a diagnosis, you can start putting supports in place. And then, you know, they can, they can um, get you connected with what you're going to need and that like it yeah it was a different angle that we hadn't thought of it was I would say do it yeah let's let's see how we're gonna support if that was the angle of hey let's find out now so we can do our very best to support your child right then I think it but I think because we know how heavy-handed they are and there's so much fear, even there's, it's, there's fear in the presentation that, you know, and because the presentation was always followed for us with, you want to do that test now while you still have time to do anything about it. And that's what made us say, I don't want anything to do with whatever you're offering, mm-hmm. you know. Um, See, that's not a, a problem here. <laughs> You can have an abortion up until, well, you could have an abortion if you're overdue. Yeah. I think mm. there's a bill getting pushed through government soon to try and push that back. But um, there's there's a large group that are trying to push it the other way and say that, like, it should be legalised up until birth for anything. Which, as the mother of a premature baby who spent, like, two months in a neonatal unit around babies that were all born premature, is absolutely horrific. You would think that for as disgusted as a lot of Westerners are about 
how China does things that we would see that that's we're heading that way if you're if you have these kind of open rules it's anyway that's a whole nother we went dark yeah right <laughs> let's and talk about sunshine and rainbows that's right <laughs> i you know it's so funny because I, I i know i i do that i want to talk about sunshine and rainbows um <laughs> and and i did but it's not because i want to i want to put light out there and it's not because of the ignorance of the dark because i think i know all i know the darkness that's out there and I'd just rather there's enough people actively putting darkness out there that I would just like to put some light, little corners of light wherever we can so that the truth can shine through and that we can make positive changes in the world because heaven knows that all the, because, you know, we know that the darkness is people who are putting the darkness out there are definitely making changes in the, in the other direction. So you know, I, it's really hard for me to think of anything but actually rainbows and unicorns when I'm looking at the picture of little Betsy. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I and I want I want to make a world with rainbows and unicorns for her. You know. Well, thank you. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, just your information as a professional, um, how it enlightened you and had such a great impact on your life. And although that same knowledge was not able to protect you from the ignorance that is still out there or the misinformation that's still out there, um, you're using it, you're using it for the betterment and um, being able to make changes, being able to advocate for your daughter and not only your daughter, you have a voice that has a great insight to be able to to advocate for our whole community and it's it's a gift and I thank you for that I, I I'm going to carry your story with me and I'm I'm really just so sorry that you had the experience that you had I will say with hope that going forward uh, we can make some changes and and maybe there'll be one mother who doesn't experience that. Yeah, we need to keep plowing on um, in every arena and in every forum. We need to keep plowing on with advocating for the correct representation of Down syndrome, um, getting rid of these antiquated prejudiced views, um, and really just push for acceptance, inclusion, and equality for every single person with Down syndrome in the world. Absolutely. And, you know, the one hopeful thing I can say is, for the most part, when I meet anyone, uh, and they meet Liam, or they get to know our family, any little story that I share, because I don't share these stories necessarily in my daily life of any of our challenges, because honestly, the challenges we push through, and we really try to keep our focus on the goodness in our life and all the blessings. But to my experience, um, whenever I've shared a story about our challenges with educating our son or even getting him into a classroom with his peers, for the most part, people are <laughs> so taken aback. And they, they, they're, they're, they always ask, they say, why? why? I don't even understand that, Lori. Why is that a situation? Why do you have to hire a lawyer to uh, to get your son 
into a classroom and the supports to access, you know, his his curriculum and, and reach his potential? Why is that something you have to do? Because I don't have to do it. And I think that's the big question is why. But I think that the more people that if they know that it exists, then we can make a change together because it is uh, injustice that shouldn't exist. And, and, and that's my hope. And I'm looking at the whole time we're, we're, we're recording. I'm looking at little Betsy's face and I have to say she's so adorable. She is just, she's adorable and she's so beautiful. And uh, like every child, she's a child with so much hope and potential in her. And I think that my goal uh, with this podcast and anything that I can do in my life is to make the assurances that, hey, Betsy, you, you get to reach that potential just like every other child. She is beautiful and determined. So anything that she wants to do, uh, we'll make sure that she gets to do. What a lucky little girl. She's tucked in bed, so maybe you give her a little hug and kiss for us, and, and we send our, our best to you and your family and really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for letting me come and talk to you. It's been really interesting to meet you, and hopefully we can keep in touch. Yes, definitely. Most definitely. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Please follow us on Twitter at IfWeKnewThenPod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at IfWeKnewThenPod, or visit our website, IfWeKnewThen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Oh,